Morning, church. As I try not to fall down the stairs, goodness gracious, I walk on a chewing gum. Put on a mic, take a few steps, end up on the floor. Oh, goodness gracious, good morning. My voice is a little scratchy today. Luckily for me, blessingly for me, uh, providence of the Lord, the music was right in the middle of my range, so I didn't have to stress too much, and I can actually hopefully speak throughout the entire sermon. I don't know sign language, so we'd be in trouble. Lots of whispering, very impactful. We're trucking through Romans. Um, last week, if you've, if you've been here lately, I, I hope you're um, looking forward week on week to see how all this unfolds. Romans is one of those books, as Paul's written it, that it, just con- they, they all, it all ties together. The context is, is book-wide, I would say. Um, not, that, not that other uh, books of the Bible don't do that, but something like Proverbs, for instance, it's, uh, it's perfect to read one a day. It's a little bit more compartmentalized, you know, general wisdom. Uh, but Romans is really intense. This is an intense study that we're doing as a group. And uh, so when we read this, and it's like, wow, well, this sounds great. We, we want to keep all that coupled together. So uh, I called this one, I love alliteration, Mysterious Manifestations of Mercy. And we see mercy being represented kind of twice in this chapter. Obviously the mercy from God, but then an expectation for us to show mercy as God showed us mercy. And that can be the tricky business. So if you've got your Bible, turn with, and we're going to do Romans 12. We're just going to read the first half today, and then uh, Michael finish it up next week. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be, in, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, some parts of this chunk of scripture, I think, are very straightforward. We're thankful for that. Thankful that we're able to digest this stuff uh, somewhat easily, Lord. But as we do that, help us not to take for granted, perhaps, the depth of these words. Help us not to write them off as uh, good behaviors, uh, uh, things to do to earn our way back to you or to, to, to prove to you that we're worthy of salvation or something along those lines, Lord. Help us to understand that everything that we target to do, the things that you've called us to do in your word here today, are only going to be possible through you affecting change in our life, Lord. Help us to lean on you, uh, to let you change us, to submit to you and see these things begin to happen in our lives. 
not to our glory, but to yours, Lord. Thank you for this time together to study. It's in your sons, I pray. Amen. All right. Another therefore. May, my goodness, I don't think we've, we've done a... I don't know if there's been a chapter yet where there hasn't been a therefore. Um, if you're here last week, he just wrapped a, a section on the mystery of salvation. There's a lot of mysteries. Salvation's one of them. Uh, Jesus, the Trinity... Loads of mysteries. Uh, the remnants of Israel is what we talked about last week. It's mysterious how that's going to work. We mentioned in small group, uh, Mike said it's sometimes a well-spoken or whatever, I don't know, is a, a very good answer. And it's true. These things that are mysterious, it's okay for to have to be mysterious. It's okay for us to really have to turn to God in prayer, turn back to the Word, and accept the fact that we may not be able to understand everything that's happening around us. So here what we see is a, a different tone from last week. It was, last week, was a, you know, Mike used the word uh, an, an eschatological, right? But eschatology is the study of the end times, of the end of anything, is it's eschatology. And we see some touches on that as, as, as our time on this earth, as the time of the earth comes to a close, what's going to happen to Israel? Something, I guarantee you that. The question is what? Well, we'll see. A remnant? Yes, the word promises that. What does that mean? I don't know. And Paul says it's okay not to know. Let's continue doing what we're doing. So that section last week, Romans 11, you know, lots of nitty-gritty, maybe lots of note writing. This, therefore, here at the very beginning, it's a big shift. This one seems much more straightforward. He's talking to people now about, you know, hey, how do we, how do we live and serve? And, and there's some things we can do. Let's be good. Let's act right. Let's, let's do some things that, that prove in some regards that we're saved. But it's built on Romans 1 through 11. A lot of these things we talk about, things cross-stitched or stitched on pillows. We love to pick out these things that uh, warm our hearts or that we do good at. Like, I'm pretty good at this. I'm, I care for others. I pray without ceasing, so I'll stitch on a pillow and remind myself of something that I do great. We tend not to stitch stuff that we struggle with. What Paul's getting at here is not like, well, you know, now that you understand all that stuff, let's talk about how to look like you're saved. This is all part and parcel of that. He starts talking about life after justification. Justification is that moment when God opens your eyes and you say, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That moment, you're justified in the eyes of God. Being sanctified, regenerated, done, sanctification, salvation in some regards. We work that out with fear and trembling. We, we go through life, but we're justified. We're good. We're clear. But what do you do after that? Or what to expect while you're expecting the Son of Man. And I hope that everybody here that claims to be a Christian is expecting Jesus any day. Amen. If you're not expecting, if you're not ex with, like, I'm excited, I wish he'd come back right now. I mean that, church. There's a lot of wonderful things in this world that God has given us. Wonderful things to experience. But there's also a tremendous toll that sin has taken. When we watch people that we love get sick and die. When we watch... Entire communities get eradicated by natural disasters. We see the state of the world, and we should see that and say, Lord, come back. But until you do, what can I do at your request? That's where we see Paul transitioning here. What should we expect while we're expecting the Son of Man? Mercy, mercy, mercy. Anybody ever hear that? I hear that a lot growing up. That's the way I acted more than anything, probably. Mercy, mercy, mercy. I'm going to do with this kid. But here I am. But we see right away, the first thing here is Paul appealing to the mercies of God. There is nothing that precedes 
or follows that changes that need for mercy. It's easy, and I'm guilty of this, to think, well, you know, I, God showed me mercy, but I need it no longer. Now I'm saved. I'm justified. Everything's just great. No mercy is required. And that's absolutely not true. God's mercy lets us share our, our story of salvation, the word of God with other people, lead them to a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's mercy. That's God pitying the world around us and seeing how that goes. Everything that we see in the whole book is, is, is because God had mercy on mankind. He felt bad for us, the state we were in, and he wanted to see that changed. So think of all of Paul's writings as additive. Nothing at 12, nothing we talked about here today in this chapter is going to make any sense without chapters 1 through 11 backing it up. It's easy to sometimes to draw a line and say, well, that's all theology. This is good works, right? Paul's calling us to good works. Yeah, we could say that. He's saying, look, look what you need to be doing. These are good things for you to do. But be rest assured, if you're just going to start in 12, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to be working real hard, treading water in a sinking ship, right? Eventually, you will run out of energy and you will sink. So just know that until you are saved, the things that we're talking about here in chapter 12 are going to be impossible for you to sustain for any amount of time. So Paul's call to action. I love the call to action term. You know, we use it a lot around here, but this is Paul's. Early in here, we see action words. So these aren't thinking words. These aren't what to consider. These are present, conform, transform, test, discern. We need to do or avoid conforming, for instance. We don't want to conform to the world. We need to do these things. These are things for us to do, works, actions. But we're not called to do it alone. Don't turn the page. We don't, okay, so now I'm saved, so thanks, God. I'll put you over here, and when I come to die... I'll pull you down off the shelf, and then we'll go from here to heaven. But from, from now until then, I'll, I'll take it from here. This is what I did for a long time. This is what a lot of Christians do. We try to figure it out ourselves. We make rules and regulations and different rules and constructs and new laws. And this is a good way. I built a guardrail, and we'll all follow it. And, and we give all these other folks a false sense that, well, if I act this way, if I do the things in Romans 12, it gets everybody off my back. If all I am is kind and nice to people and I share and I, I have a couple gifts and my love is genuine and I'm not slothful in zeal, I'm fervent in spirit, I'm doing the work, nobody's saying two words to me, I can just stay in my lane and coast right to hell because that is not going to save you. Plucking Romans 12 out of context is ultra dangerous, like any bit of scripture taken out of context. And when I say Romans 12 is part of Romans, it really is. When we see that word, therefore, it should call us to go back to 11. And like, uh, I think the first, the first line in chapter 11 is something like, in these things, I ask then, has God rejected his people, right? God has not rejected his people. They've done, it's, it's, it's immediately a, another connection back to Romans 10. And you'll see it again to 9 and 8 because all of this works together. This is one long story of how God works in his people. Very easy to just turn that page, but don't do it. So mercy and grace. These words are closely related. We hear it a lot. There are songs that call to, we sang today about God's mercy and how wonderful it is. And we also, I think, would all agree that we appreciate grace a great deal. They're not interchangeable per se. Uh, and they're interchangeable in that I'm thankful for God's mercy. And I could change it out with I'm thankful for God's grace, but that's kind of cheating. 
God has mercy or pity. So think of mercy perhaps as pity. Show me mercy. Mercy, please. That in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean an action. Being merciful is being, I'm I'm engaged in feeling pity for you. I'm sorry for where you are. God looks at the state of man and his mercy is, that is, I don't like that. I'm going to do something about it. The action then is grace. And what we get is beyond. (laughs) The, The beauty of grace is not just like mercy, like I'm sorry for your loss. That's a very merciful thing to say to somebody. I'm sorry for your loss. Grace is, I'm going to bring them back from the dead. We love mercy, right? If you've ever suffered the loss of a loved one, having all the people show up and show you mercy. We could say they're showing grace by being there, but in reality, they're just saying that they're sorry. They pity us. They pity the state that we're in. They know how sad we must feel. They understand we're struggling. But unmerited favor, something in exchange, this is where these two things work together. Without God's mercy, we wouldn't get God's grace. But without God's grace, we would, ne- we would never understand the, the depth of his mercy, how pitiful he saw us because he was willing to give his son for us. And Paul's appealing to both of these things here. We need mercy. And it's mysterious how God has done this. Why does he feel bad for us? Why doesn't he feel bad for everybody? Why doesn't he feel bad for this or that or the angels or animals or whatever? I don't know. But there's something very special about God and his people. He has shown mercy to his people by not doing for us what we deserved. And he showed grace by giving us something that we didn't even want. Paul appeals to God's mercy, but he speaks through God's grace. These aren't aren't my words. These are Paul's words. But verses 3 through 16 shouldn't really be anything new to us. And I say this because it's, I say it's a head nodder for sure. That's one of the phrases I like to use where people just like, oh, amen, right? If I were to say, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Amen, amen. Oh, yeah, I can't disagree with any of that, right? Few will disagree, but few will actually do this stuff. Few, including myself. I can call myself right to the carpet on this. Do I rejoice in hope? Am I patient in tribulation? For those that know me well, I'm patient in very little. That's it's a big problem. I'm a, I'm a let's get it done kind of guy. This is broken, I'll fix it. I'm in tribulation, let's escape it. Right? The house is on fire, let's leave the house. I would never sit in a burning house and say, let's just be patient in tribulation, see how this plays out. Maybe God will have mercy on us, right? And people, I hope, would agree with me, well, that's not what this means, and that's true. But when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to tribulation, specifically around the things of God, when you're in constant prayer, things that are actually oppressive, actual tribulation comes upon you, and you can have peace in that. You shoot yourself in the foot, well, you kind of shot yourself in the foot. I mean, you could say that's tribulation, or you could say you're being persecuted, but you pulled the trigger. Uh, this is a great deal of American persecution, is us screwing it up. And then saying, oh God, why? Why have you done this thing to me that I set in motion several months ago and now seen to fruition? Oh God, how could you have, you know. When we talk about these things and we nod our heads along, we should stop and say, I've got to put myself aside. I've got to put what I like and the stuff that I want, the things that I think I know, my desires, my rank and file and where I sit, I need to put that aside. That's as difficult now for us 
as it was for Paul's audience. Now, he's talking to some Jews and some Gentiles that are mainly the Jews that he's talking to, I guess, right? But they are very, very full of themselves. They see themselves literally as automatically saved. It goes God, it goes me, and it goes all you other Jews. But I'm up here. Look at these robes. I mean, this is serious business. I have done a lot of good things. Look at all the money I've distributed. I've been participating in this and that and the other. I can trace my lineage back. I've memorized this. I've done scription of this. I've, I'm, I've got it taken care of. And what Paul's saying is, knock all that off. That doesn't matter. You're being haughty, and you shouldn't do that. And they're going to be like, well, I'm not being haughty if it's true. Anybody ever heard this? It's not bragging if it's true. Like, I'm the tallest person in the room. Well, yeah, but why bring it up? Yeah, it's true, but are we just citing facts? No, you're picking a fact. You're being haughty. You're taking something, a gift that God gave you, and trying to make it sound like this sets me apart because of me. And that's not true. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. This little section is subheaded marks of the true Christian. And a true Christian is looking at this and saying, this is what I seek to fulfill as God works in my life. I want this to be natural and not of me. I don't want to be putting this on. I want this to be like breathing. I want to be able to pray for my enemies. You read about these martyrs, it chokes me up every time. Um, Anyway, but James, the brother of John, was martyred. He was taken to the top of the temple and thrown off the temple. Just admit that you're lying and your brother was a nothing. I won't do it. I'm going to pray for you. Nope. Throw him down. Legs broken, laying on the ground. What do we do next? Stone him. And what does he do? He is interceding for them as they stone him. He is praying for their salvation while they kill him. Now, we could say, that's what I want to be. I mean, I could say that. I want to be able to do that. But this wasn't James you know, saying, even though my legs are broken, Lord, I'm going to... St- do it for, I, you know, this, this one's for Jesus. I'm going to really muster it up and bootstrap on my broken legs. No, this was mercy and grace. This was James being put aside in the Holy Spirit in a time when I imagine James was in a great deal of pain and anguish. And the Holy Spirit propped him up. And the Holy Spirit gave him words and he interceded for those that stoned him to death. And it made them matter. And they stoned him harder. That's what happens when we put ourselves aside. That manifestation isn't about, I'm the guy that got stoned the the quickest because of my sin. Nobody brags about that. Because there's nothing to brag about. When you're dead, when you've died for the faith, when you've been martyred, it's kind of over. No one's there. If there's bragging to be done, it's going to be bragging on your behalf. And I, I guarantee you, every martyr here would say, don't talk about me and my wherewithal. Talk about God and his power. He sent me there, and 20 years later, people got saved. I didn't do that. God did that. All that I could ever have done was be faithful. That's it. So now Paul's going to talk about the body of Christ. We're not all the same in the body. I don't think anybody here is going to disagree with that. No, no, no. A heart and a liver, basically the same. Not the same. (laughs) This analogy is fantastic because of that. Anybody with eyes to see and ears to hear should relate to this analogy. Sure, a hand and a foot, two different things, right? All very important, right? Things you can easily take for granted. We've talked about it before, but imagine breaking both your thumbs. Some people have done it. Imagine what that must be like. You're giving someone a thumbs up, and you're like, okay, that's pretty good, and I use it to ride a little bit, and whatever, you know, I live my life, and I use my thumbs. 
Cool. I don't wake up every day and thank God for my thumbs. But I bet Mike did for a few months after those casts came off. I bet for a few months he was like, oh, I just can't. I am so thankful to be able to hold a cup of coffee, to be able to hold a piece of toilet paper. <laughs> the little things, right? But those little things, and that's the whole point here, is a thumb is really noticeable when it's taken from you. And when we talk about the body of Christ, no part should think more highly of their function. Now, a heart and a brain may be more central uh, to you know, the function of a body than thumbs, in some regards, I know plenty of people that lose arms and legs, and, and that's still a body, and that's great. But the point is, there are different parts. And when you talk about critical parts of the body, all of them have to work together, or none of it is going to function at all. Every, if everything in my body wanted to be a brain, there's nothing to circulate blood, there's nothing to cleanse the blood, it's a disaster. If they all wanted to be a liver, same issue, only I can't even think, right? I'm all thought and no action. You're going to die in no time. All are necessary, and none are without God's sovereign hand. When Paul's making this example, he is talking to people who have a rank and file. I am a Pharisee, and then there's the Sadducees, and then the, down the line, and then the chief priest, and the other priest, and, and this is where I sit. It doesn't matter what I do, I'm here. And this, with this comes a lot of pomp and circumstance, and people come up to me and give me special gifts and invite me over and ask for special blessings. Feels pretty good if you're the priest. Yes, I like this. I mean, I don't think there's anybody among us that doesn't like to feel important. Paul has been there. He was a mucky muck once upon a time, but now has repented of all that. And saw that led me nowhere. As a matter of fact, it was a stumbling block to me coming to Christ. I see now that that is a barrier that needs to be overcome. Paul's thankful that Christ overcame that for him. But what he's talking about aren't things that the, the Jews were known for showing. They hated their enemies and they cursed them all the time. Now he's saying, don't do that anymore. We're going to put, whoa, ooh, hold on a minute here. I don't know if I want to be part of this body. When we talk about members of the church, we think of ourselves like members of a club, right? We very rarely think of like the hunting club as a body with different members doing different things. It tends not to work that way. We tend to elect a board, and the rest of us are just members. We'll vote in a brain and a heart and a kidney and a liver and a lung or two, and the rest of us will be appendices, and that's fine. We really have no function, just hope we don't get inflamed. That is not what the body of Christ is supposed to be up to. We need a thumb. I'll be a thumb. I could use a second thumb. I'll do it. I'll be a thumb. You know, I don't know that I'm ready to be a brain. I don't know if God's called me to be a heart. I, that seems like a difficult thing for me. Well, then don't be a heart. Be a thumb. Thank you, Lord, for thumbs. Amen? Amen. Right? It, 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 oh, but you can live without your thumb. Of course you can, and the body of Christ can function without a thumb too. But if God has brought a thumb to the body, then by all means, let us use it. The members that we're talking about in our body and any body should be parts of a body, not a bunch of dead weight, not a really small body that can barely move with covered warts. Oh, I got, we got a pretty good brain and a decent lung, and the heart's a little weird, but, and then a bunch of warts sitting around that... Nobody wants to look at it. Nobody wants to can't walk. You can't pick anything up. That is not the way the body of Christ is called to function. And these gifts differ by grace. Once again, here we come. Mercy and grace. Well, I want a new gift. Whatever gift God has given you, use them for God. And I will say, you don't see a giftless scenario. You don't see that part at the end where he says, boy, you know, and if you're just a wart, be a wart. You know, just hang around. Those of you that are called to be dead weight, keep the body from blowing away in a stiff breeze, there's no call for this. 
God will give you a gift to serve. He will make you a thumb. I don't want to be a thumb. You can want to be a thumb if you trust that God will instill in you a desire to be a thumb. If God has given you a gift of music and there's no opportunity for you to play music, then pray to see what gifts God may also be giving you. How's how's things going to change? What are we adding? Is there something new coming? Or am I called to be in a time of prayer? And the last item you'll see in the list is a pretty big catch-all, to be fair. And it's not a coincidence. The list seems, uh, um, if prophecy, prophesy, service, serve. If you teach, teach. If you exhort, you exhort. If you contribute, do it generously. If you lead, and if you do acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. I would assert there's not a person among us who cannot do an act of mercy. You don't need any special gifting. You don't need to be able to jump high or, or duck low or sing or dance or preach or teach or read. You don't have to be able to do that to show mercy. It is not required. You can show mercy and then you pray to be cheerful in that. Somebody that needs help, someone that's down on their luck, you spend some time with them. You hang out with them. You pray for them. Help them out a little bit. Better than they deserve. A little mercy. You pity them. I want to show mercy. I want to feel bad for people. When we talk about being broken for the lost, that's what that is. I pity the lost. Eternity from God. Eternity hating God. Ah, that's, that's pitiful. I feel so bad. That then leads me to grace. Let me go tell them the good news. Let me, let me tell you why you don't have to be separated from God in anger for your whole life. The last thing I'll mention is there's nothing stopping us from doing more than one, one of these items in the body, but that's God's gig. And I'll tell you, there's a cautionary tale here that trying to be a one-man body is trouble. If you're both the brain and the lungs and, or, and also the kidney, uh, chances are the lack of working together makes it a subpar brain, subpar heart, subpar kidney. Not to say that God can't take one person and start a body. God makes the body happen. He picks things out. He makes it go, periods, period, no ifs, ands, or buts. That said, we have to really be careful when we talk about this to, to be in prayer to God for we need a thumb, Lord. Until we get a thumb, we're not going to do these things because we can't do it. I, can't throw, I, can't, I don't want to graft a thumb onto the left ventricle of the heart and then overburden the heart where it's also trying to do the duty of a thumb. Eventually, that whole thing's going to come apart. We're going to be a subpar heart. We're going to be a subpar thumb. We're going to be in trouble. This is something that I think small and large churches need to remember is that when we talk about the body of Christ, we need to be thoughtful and prayerful about, yeah, we want this to be fulfilled in God's way and in God's time. And if, if God has not equipped us with legs and, and feet capable of running very fast, then let's not plan a marathon. Let's do what we can do with the body that we've got here today. And then if God brings us strong legs, amen. Where are we running, God? You brought them here for a reason. Let's use them. But we don't need to have everybody trying to run on the bottom of their lungs. <clears throat> and then we see uh, as, we, as we transition into these, in 9 through 16 specifically, all these marks of the true Christian. Let love be genuine. I love this this. this this translation is fantastic, but that Greek word that they're translated to genuine in the ESV 
could mean without hypocrisy or undisguised or sincere. There's something really pure about this love, right? This isn't love that's selfish or it's conditional. This isn't about gaining something or for showing off how much I love. This is real, honest-to-goodness, non-hypocritical, exactly what you're seeing, sincere love. Let our love be genuine. When we love others, when we love the church, when we love our community, let that be true, absolutely pure love. How do you get there? That's what God does. Our love is selfish and conditional. Human human beings try as they may. We say things like unconditional, but inevitably it's not. Inevitably there's some condition that goes with it. I love my wife unconditionally. Yes, I do. But that's... That, that, the clear condition is my wife. I don't love every woman I've ever met in the manner in which I love my wife. Thankfully, for the world and my wife. That's not the case. So there's clearly a condition to the love that we share, and it is that we are married. Now, if you ask me, do you love your wife unconditionally? Absolutely, I do. What if she wasn't your wife? Well, then I probably wouldn't love her as a wife. What thought you said it was unconditional? Well, right. Tricky. That's a mystery. That said, I don't love her for gain. My love for her is built on a construct described in the, in the Word, but I, I intend for it to be genuine. And when I feel as if my love for her has become something where I can gain, then I want to repent of that. I want God to renew that love, make it different again. I, when I say I want to love my neighbor as I love myself, that's confusing and difficult. I need God to help that, to, to make that happen. Or I'm going to love my neighbor in so much as it benefits my love for myself. We love, this love that we ought to love with is because God first loved us. This is the love that we see Jesus showing on the cross. Genuine. There's no hypocrisy. It's, it's completely undisguised and 100% sincere. You do not bear the wrath of the Father if you don't mean it. Period. Now, luckily for us, we'll never have to. And then finally, we see Paul here calling us to abhor or hate evil and cling to good. Another one, head nodder, absolutely, but man, do we struggle with that. We love talking about hate. We love being frustrated with people and venting and really celebrating the hate. I'm as guilty of this as anybody. We're going to cling to good. Yes, I feel hurt. I feel bad about that, but I've got to get back to good. God, help me back to good. Regenerate this. Help me to understand these thoughts aren't going to help me or anybody else. And then from here on out, kind of, uh, you know, 10 through the... through. Through 16, yeah, I guess. I like to call it Christianity for dummies. Think of all these as like the Hecox standard version here. Love each other, honor each other. Don't be lazy. Be excited and serve. Rejoice in hope. Suffer well. Pray without ceasing. Help people who are in need. Now, I'm sure if you went into literally any church in any city today of any faith and put this up on the wall, they'd all say, Amen. Well, heck yeah, that's what we want to do. The question is, how are we going to do it? Are we just going to get out there and really work hard as a team and we'll hold each other accountable and, and uh, you know, I see you acting a little nutty, don't do that, steer clear of those bars and watch your language and let's act the part and get out here and act like we love each other, act like we're honoring each other, act like we're not lazy, pretend to be excited, go through the motions and serve. That is not what this is about. This is an overflow of God's mercy and grace in our lives spilling out through these kinds of actions. These don't save us, but these are indicators, marks of a true Christian. When you're doing this and it's not about you and it's with pure love that is not based on a condition, 
other than God first loved you, this is a really good indicator. Well, I'm doing that stuff already. Anything else? Sure. Bless your enemies. Bless, do not curse them. Celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who weep. Be nice. Get over yourself and spend time with the least of these. And if you think yourself wise, check yourself, right? Warning. I'm very, very wise about this. Immediate red flag. Once again, this is not my words. Never, these are Paul's words. Never be wise in your own sight. I mean, in some regards, it's kind of a deal breaker for how everybody on earth lives. We strive to be wise in our own sight. I learned to play the guitar. I went to a lot of school. I go to training. I, my job requires me to be good at my job, and I want to measure that. On, well, I'm wise in my own sight. And Paul says, never be wise in your own sight. Now, that doesn't mean all wisdom that isn't you know, of the Bible is not wisdom at all, but folly. That's not true. We need to learn how to like mow yards and rake grass and heal bones. That's great. It's great to know that stuff. But there's something fundamental here about like, I don't have all this figured out. These items specifically, there's wisdom here that transcends me. If I think I know why I bless those who persecute you, if my wisdom has led me to bless those who persecute me, that's a problem. It can't be some rational thing that I'm doing for myself. It has to be for God's glory. Well, that's a bit tougher. Yes, indeed it is. This calling, being a Christian following Jesus, is not a joke. And God has charged us with serious tasks. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Uh, That is extraordinarily serious. Somebody persecutes you and I'm going to bless them back? Uh, I don't think I've got that in me. Spoiler alert, I don't. I don't. As these tasks unfold, we'll face opposition from without. The world will come down on us. I don't believe your love is unconditional. You're doing this to look good. You're trying to win hearts. You're trying to you know, score a date with somebody. You're trying to look cool. You're trying to be holier than thou. You're up to something, and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, get ready for that. Doesn't matter. We'll also face opposition to God from within. We very rarely oppose ourselves. We, we strive probably, and we ought to do that. We ought to put ourselves aside, not necessarily spend time opposing, but we will try to fight against this. We'll try to justify this in my own way. Well, I know you don't want to lean on my own wisdom, and I'm not really leaning on my wisdom, Lord. I'm just kind of standing near it. Maybe it's like, like here's my wisdom. This isn't a lean. I mean, so I'll, I'll keep this wisdom. I'm not leaning. There's a little bit of my wisdom here. And, it, you know, I can just, I, that would be a lean, but I'm over here. I'm just like resting my foot on my wisdom. We do this nonsense all the time and think, well, I'm okay. It's not what we're called to do. We need to put our stuff away. We need to, to, to pray that we get out of the way. We stop opposing God in our own lives. And then when people come from the outside to oppose us, we say, well, this is all God. So when you oppose me, you oppose God, and i got nothing to worry about. If you oppose me and it's me you're opposing, then I'm probably going to want to fight. Oh, yeah? Well, I disagree. But if it's God, no worries. And we have to remember, Paul knows both sides. (laughs) He has stood in staunch opposition to God. He was the opposition from without, and he was opposing God from within. He's describing for us how we manage this. Well, let's get to it. Hold up there, partner. 
Once again, I'll reiterate, there's a reason this is in chapter 12 and not chapter 2. Paul has written a whole bunch about what salvation means, what growing in Christ means, the, the mystery of God and how he's saving and preserving and working. All of this happens before he tells us about how you indicate you're a true Christian. The reason for that is because he knows if he mentioned this first, everybody would emulate it and ignore the rest. And guess what we've done? Exactly that. We skipped the first 11 chapters of Romans. It's too difficult. I don't need to know about the remnant of Israel. How does that apply to me? Let me just go out here. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll contribute to the needs of the saints, and I'll seek to show hospitality. That's easy for me. I love having people over. Let me write a slightly bigger check to the church there. Punch the card. Punch the card. Saved. Paul's like, no, you missed all of this. That was supposed to be something God did through you. Not you. Well, how's God going to do that through me? I don't even really know God's working in my life. Let's go back to chapter 1. Please read it again. I'm sure Paul shakes his head a whole bunch watching his church work real hard with no, in, no idea about God and his glory. Just now, you know, the church looks great. Look how many people love our church. We're huge. 10,000 members in this community. We're held up as a pillar of light. A completely rotten core within. Whitewashed tombs. But hey, on paper, we're looking pretty good. Pretty good. In order to serve as God desires, we must grow in God. It's easy to skip to the end, take the cheat sheet out, fill all the answers in on the test, claim you studied. There's no cliff notes here. No one's going to get in because, well, I, I mean, I, I didn't even read the Bible, but I passed the test, so boom, you know. Like, that is not how this is going to work. We grew up in a world of this. Demonstrate your knowledge as, as prescribed, and you, away you go. Here's your stamp or your, your card or whatever. That's not how this works. And as we go through all this stuff, we see calls to think with sober judgment. So we talk about understanding our salvation, understanding and and processing this. As we move through Romans to get here, this is how we are equipped to serve. First, there's the Word of God. Back in in Romans 10, how are they to hear without someone preaching, right? We have to share the good news. This is the first act of mercy and grace. Share the good news. We proclaim it, the world hears it. We take that same time here in our small groups to study and learn because the word demands it. Reading the Bible to somebody, let me tell you, this, was a, this is a bridge for me and some will argue this. If the word of God not preached was, is, is in and of itself the best way to share the word of God, then all we ever needed to do was print Bibles and distribute them, Right? God does not say to do that. I I don't know why. Another mystery. Preaching, teaching, people communicating the word of God. By all means, give somebody a Bible. But just handing them the word and walking off is not preaching. There's something here. There's something mysterious about this. That's why we do what we do. That's why I stand here and do this. Because I'm called to do it. Not because I'm a great guy or any of that nonsense. It doesn't matter. God has changed my life for the good. And I'm going to proclaim the good news of God's grace. Praise God that we can all pull up a Bible and read it to our heart's content and have the word change us as the Holy Spirit works. That is unequivocally true. But we are not called to throw Scripture at people and walk off. We proclaim it, the world hears it. We take this time to study and learn because the word word demands we learn it better so that we can communicate it more clearly. Then they go and they read and more and they're still a little bit confused. Let me come back. and Iron begins to sharpen iron and discipleship takes place. All of God, all for his glory. 
After the word of God, grace. Every breath we take is grace. Make no mistake. That's grace. <clears throat> grace unto me because I enjoy being here with my family and friends. Not as much as I enjoy being in heaven, but grace to the world around us. Every word I share, I pray. Every word that comes out of my mouth glorifies God. Period. So yeah, I consider it mercy to the world around me that God has chosen to use me for another 15 seconds to this point. We are called to show the world the grace that God showed us. God changed my life. He regenerated me. He brought people into my life to share the word with me. Uh, Mike, the other elder here, I've known him since high school, and he was a part of that. Back in the day before I was saved, he and others came to church. Now, they weren't all theologians. I think we're both a lot more intelligent about the word than we were then, but there were some simple truths that this is how I feel. Things have changed in me. It's hard to explain, but the word seems to back this up in some regards. Let's look together. Let's go to conferences together. Let's spend time together. Let's be Let's be disciples. Let's be, try to be a body of Christ as best we can. Showing me that grace changed my life. So now I do the same to others. When people come to me and they want to know what's going on, or I didn't know you teach, or you know, I disagree with that. Can we talk about that? Whatever. Yeah, let's. If there was ever a doubt, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't repent first, and then Christ went to the cross. He died while I was in sin. I'm there saying, crucify him. Pierce his side. I want to know he's dead. Christ dies for me. This is hard stuff. When it comes to facing unbelief and hatred and meeting it with these mysterious manifestations of mercy, the same mysterious manifestations of mercy that God bestowed unto me and to all of us in this room who are are saved by grace. This is not easy. Showing grace, having mercy for people that throw stones. When we tell these stories of martyrs and we see this and we think, "I, I want that. I want the ability, while my life is being taken from me, to intercede for them. They don't know what they're doing. What am I doing? I'm emulating Christ. He did the same thing. Interceded during death. That's just, it's more than we can do. We have to have it. Then there's faith in Christ. That's by, uh, that's by grace. The faith in Christ by grace. Once people hear, God regenerates them, they will believe. Once they hear and God regenerates them, they will believe. That faith is what justifies, and then the cycle starts all over again. Once that faith is there, now I've punched, but God has said, you're mine. I know it in my heart. He has changed me. I believe. Now what? Let's go back to Romans 1, friend. Let me walk you down the Romans road, as it were, but I'm talking about the full book. We're going to just absolutely go through all this again. Understand. It's mysterious that God elected you, but here you're saved. And now look, boom, 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 all the way to here. Don't go out and start doing this. I love the Lord. Awesome. Let me get right to Romans 12. Don't do it. Don't do it. Take some time with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Understand what that means. We need disciples sharpen each other. If anyone here has ever handled knives, dull knives often do more harm than good. You think... Well, it's dull. It can't really hurt me. It's not nearly as sharp. The sharp knives are the dangerous ones. Not true. A dull knife misses its target. It scoots and cuts. It's usually sharp enough to cut you, but not your target. And it's bouncing around and bobbing and this and that and the other. And you think it's dull, but it's not. And there's a sharp spot. You want sharp knives. A, sh- a knife that's sharpened and built for its purpose will do its job very well and is often far safer than a dull knife. And right now, church, I feel a lot of times we've got a whole bunch of dull knives. They kind of cut occasionally. But they're cutting other people in the church. We're cutting our hands off. We're a big bloody mess. And we're like, oh, God, what's going on? And God's saying, sharpen the knife. Oh, but God, what is it? What could we possibly do? Sharpen the knife. 
Read the Word. Let it change you. But I don't know what to do, God. I need a Word. Anybody have a Word from God? i got a whole bunch of them. (laughs) It's the Bible. Sharpen up. Then, glory to God through faith. As we work together, we don't do it for our glory. This is really key, also tough. We love getting glory. I love getting glory. People, I do something like, that was great. It feels good. It feels good. I don't know that it is good, but it feels good. As we do this stuff, we don't want to get caught up in ourselves. This isn't about us. It's not about our accomplishments. Our names in the record books of the world will amount to nothing. All of it will be incinerated. The Olympics happening right now. Kudos to those folks. They are in the, uh, they're just, you know, unbelievable skill. Eventually, all of this incinerated away. Who got the gold medal and the whatever? Is the, uh, what gold medal? Who, who cares? I, I mean, those were things that happened on earth, and there's a new earth, and we do it differently now. Every opportunity to show mercy and grace is done for God's glory, not for ours. It's not about being the biggest church or the most popular church or the coolest guy. or the, None of that matters. God's glory matters. All the suffering, all the rejoicing, all for God's glory. We should expect to suffer, but we will get an opportunity to rejoice. In the Bible, we see countless examples in martyrdom, saying, of people rejoicing while suffering. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's nuts in the world's calculus. That makes no sense. How can, I, how, can I, how can living be Christ and dying be gain? And I would say, read the word. It seems pretty clear after a while. While I'm here, I serve Christ. Awesome. What grace it is to me to get to serve God for another 10 minutes. Another 15 minutes, another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Thank you, Lord, to be able to be in your service in this place. But if I die, I get to go into your presence. Ooh, that I'm real looking forward to. So, blessed if I do, blessed if I don't. If you don't buy it, check the, uh, check the scripture. So now it's time for my call to action. This is not Paul's, this is mine, just to be clear. If you are not assured of your salvation... If you do not know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are in Christ, let's pray for that today. Come talk to us. We can figure it out today. If you're a Christian, but you're not a functioning member of a body, we'd love to have you. If you're a member of a body, but you're an appendix or somewhere else, you're like, I'm ready to be a thumb at least. I want to do something useful, not be a barnacle on the body of Jesus. Uh, then let's, by all means, get to work. We've got stuff to do. We could use some thumbs, as it were. If you're a Christian and you're a functioning member here, let's just pray for opportunities to serve. I mean, I look out these doors, and there's nobody standing out there right now, but there may as well be. You know, you could throw a stone and hit somebody here who desperately needs to know the good news. Let's pray for that. Let's pray that God's going to bring us into into opportunities. Uh, For those of you that know Jennifer McKee, she all the time has stories of people at her workplace that are coming up to her, Hey, I know you're a believer. Could you pray for this or that? Or I'm struggling with this or that. Absolutely, let me pray for you. Right? And why do they do that? Because they know she will. They know where she stands. It's evident. Right? The time we take to show and pray and engage the world around us adds up. It's very meaningful. And if you know Jennifer, I don't ever get the feeling that she's doing it for her glory. She never comes in and says, good news, everybody. I talked to another five people at work. I'm going to go put another star on the board. Boop. No. It is about God and his glory. That's where we need to be. Romans 12, 12. It's a great one. Easy number to remember. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That's my prayer for us, the, the, this church, this body. Let's rejoice in the hope of what Christ's already done. Let's be patient in the tribulation of whatever God's bringing us through right now. 
And let's be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for these challenging words, Lord. I thank you for words that convict me, Lord. I pray that as I share your word and I divide it as rightly as I know how, Lord, that you will, it will not come back void. We, I trust in that, Lord. I trust that you are a good God and you want to see amazing things happen uh, for your glory, uh, not for ours, Lord. And I consider it a blessing and there's mercy and grace that we, that I, we as a, as a, a family, my wife and daughter, and as a church family, are, are blessed. You've shown us grace to give us another day to share the good news. Another day to serve you in a world that needs you so desperately, Lord. Help us to remember this as we go through the next few weeks and months of our lives. The school picks back up and there's going to be whole new opportunities uh, for Emma, my daughter, to share uh, the good news to friends around her that are going through some tough times. Lord, I pray for those opportunities for her. Uh, I pray that she won't squander them and she'll have, have boldness through you to to share you at times when it's going to make great sense, when someone desperately is able to hear and, and they're ready to go and they've asked a question or there's some, a, a moment. And I, Lord, I pray not just for her, but for all of us to have those moments. Bring us into conversations, Lord, where we feel that, that wrenching of our hearts as I feel like I should say something about the church I go to or something that I do in, in Romans that God's working through. Give us those opportunities, Lord, to share the only light there is in a world that is just consumed by darkness and, quite frankly, getting darker every day, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this time.